Amen. Good morning. Happy New Year. Um, it's good to, to be able to start a new year, isn't it? Yeah, it is. A, it, it's a blessing. You know, sometimes I, I know that uh, New Year's resolutions, sometimes people say, well, I hate New Year's resolutions because they're just meant to be broken. And other people are really into them and like, hey, I love New Year's resolutions. It's a new start. Well, remember this, that um, God has given us seasons. When we, we think about winter, spring, summer, fall, we think about days. There's the 24-hour uh, cycle with the moon and the sun. God gave us day, uh, light by day and light by night. Um, in the Jewish calendar that he set up, there were certain holidays. There were certain times that were to remind God's people of certain aspects about God to worship him. And so beginning this year, you know, just looking at 2016, you know, I was really considering uh, jumping into the next book, but um, I- I'm going to pause right here in-, in January for a while because I-, I really wanted to focus on just this abiding relationship with Christ. And this morning, I want to focus really on on prayer. So we're we're going to be in a couple of scriptures this morning, really two main ones. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 15, the book of John chapter 15, and uh Again, welcome. If you are visiting, um, we're super blessed that you're here. Um, if you don't have a Bible in the back of the seats in front of you, there are Bibles and you could follow along with us. Um, you know, someone was asking about putting the scriptures on the screen. There are times we do that once in a while when we jump around, but the reason why we like to use the Bibles is because this is the, one of the best things to see as a pastor. See, so see, heads go down looking at the Bible. Heads looking up, you know, listening, then heads going down, because that means that you're checking out what I'm saying. That means that what I'm saying is really in this book. It means you're reading this book for yourself. And uh, last week when Pastor Bill was teaching about rediscovering the word, really that was the emphasis of the word of God speaking to us. And so this morning, hopefully, you know, my prayer is that this is not what Matt wants to share, but this is what the Lord would share with us. And I'm always praying, God, filter those things out. Help me to say the things you want me to say and not the things that you don't want me to say. And, and uh, one of the things that helps anchor us is by being in the word of God. So in, in John chapter 15, when I think about 2016, I think about goals and, and what I want to do. I'm a, I'm a goal-oriented person. I like lists. Um, I like checklists. I like planning. I like thinking ahead towards certain things. Um, but sometimes those things are less important than just that simple, um, and they're always less important than that simple everyday abiding in Christ. And when I think about God's priorities, you know, we have these nice, tidy little lists. You know, we have God, then we have family, then we have work, then we have, you know, uh, maybe friends, and we have ministry, or, you know, however your list looks. What is God's priority? What is God's priority? God's priority is God. You realize that? His priority is himself. He's the only one that can say that, and it doesn't, it's not arrogant and selfish because he's God, right? It, it, he's, uh, it says in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Well, when I think about seeking first the kingdom of God and, and that relationship that we have in Christ, I think about what it says in John 15, Uh, verses four and five, where Jesus is talking to believers. He's speaking to his disciples and he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, 
neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So whatever goals, whatever ideas, whatever things that you want to accomplish in the upcoming year, if we're not abiding in Christ, we can't do anything. We have no power or strength to do anything of lasting significance, anything that matters for the kingdom of God, um, anything that is going to matter in, in eternity. And when you think about the vine and the branches, I mean, just imagine that a vine, you know, is growing and there's a branch, an offshoot. Maybe there's some grapes that are even growing on that branch. But the moment that you cut that branch off, it begins to die. The moment you cut it off, it might look like it's alive for a while. The fruit might remain for a little bit, but eventually the fruit is going to wither and it's not going to continue to grow and it's not going to continue to produce fruit. So this year, I think that all of us want to grow, hopefully, and to produce that fruit. And if we want to produce that fruit, if we want the love and joy and peace of God in our lives, if we want patience and goodness, if we want to be faithful, if we want self-control, if we want to be close to God, if we want to reach other people, if we want to reproduce and be fruitful, then it must be because we are abiding in Christ. And if we are abiding, what does that look like and what does that mean? The word abide simply means to remain, to live in. We're, we're to live in Christ. We're to remain in Christ. But one of the ways that we abide is through prayer. It's the vital connection and it's the relationship with the Lord. And so when it comes to prayer, uh, this morning we are going to look at prayer. And then uh, in the next couple of weeks, we are going to look at Sabbath and silence and solitude. Uh, we're going to look at abiding in the word of God. We abide in Christ through the word of God. We're going to look at abiding through confession, through fasting, and abiding through giving and serving. These are all parts of abiding. And, and I hope that this is all part of the growth of your Christian life. If you're a follower of Christ, then you and I should be growing. We should be growing, hopefully getting stronger, hopefully getting closer to the Lord. Hopefully the gap between what we believe and what we do is not getting bigger, but that gap that God is doing this constant work. Now, if we're honest with um, ourselves, really, we could look at our lives and realize that there are areas where we have shrunk backwards at times, right? There's times when we want to grow, but then I could look back at my journals. I could look back at my walk with the Lord. I could look back at different areas of my life and say, think and realize there are some areas where I've grown. Yeah, hopefully I'm continuing to grow. But I'll tell you that there are some areas where I've gone backwards. There are some areas that need some remediation, some mending, some strengthening because I was stronger at one point in time than I am right now in some of these areas. So when it comes to this abiding in Christ, this progressive growth, um, Bill sent me a, a video of this kid that was sliding down the slide. I don't know if you guys have seen that. It's kind of like a, one of those little things on, on uh, YouTube. You know, he's, he's sliding down the slide. And what happens is as he's going down, his head is hitting the sides of the slide. And I don't know what it is about our human nature that we laugh at other people's misfortune. You know, World's Funniest Home Videos makes us laugh when someone falls. But, you know, this kid's coming down the slide and he's bam, 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 bam. He's hitting his head all the way down the slide. 
And, uh, you know, he, he sent that to me and said, hey, that's, that's us. And I kind of felt like, yeah, that, that was me 2015. At the end of 2015, I'm just coming down this slide and my head is just slamming the walls. You know, I'm just going through um, just a busy, busy life and um, sometimes even good things. But here at the end of 2015 going into 2016, you know, one of the things I realized is I need to recharge yeah, you know, I, I need to recharge uh, physically. There's a physical recharge that needs to happen when it comes to health. There's a spiritual recharge where I need to draw near to the Lord, not to study, not to minister to someone else, but just as a, a friend of God, drawing close to God. You know, I need um, an emotional uh, recharge. And, and um, even blessings and good things can cause stress. You know, 2000. Uh, 16 at the beginning of this year i'm not only reading through the bible but i was reading this devotional and let me read to you what i i read on january 1st the title of the devotional was from exhausted to energized replenishing your energy reserves it says can you recall a time when you were replenished and filled up when you were living soulfully restfully creatively lovingly playfully prayerfully my guess is you can recall a handful of such times in your life. And I can recall such times too. And increasingly, they're becoming the norm rather than the exception as I seek to master the art of a, of a simplified life. It can be done. Hold on to that image for a second and let's switch gears. Let's talk about times when you're depleted, toxically depleted. Your bucket is empty. You have nothing left to give. What does that feel like? When I ask people this question, no matter where I am in the world, the first word that comes out of their mouths is resentment. They resent someone or something just like Martha in the book of Luke. I imagine her coming out of the kitchen, shaking a wooden, a wooden spoon at Mary and Jesus. She was resentful. Jesus, don't you care? My sister's a deadbeat. We can't order takeout. Your disciples are mooches. They never help with the dishes. Resentment. Ever feel it? I do. If you find yourself shaking that wooden spoon and you're telling God what to do and you're mad at the world, maybe it's time for you to hear God say to you, let's sit down together. We've got some things to work out, you and me. You've lost a connection with me somewhere. You've lost your bearings on true north and now you're just spinning, but I have a better plan. Your heart and mine yearn for an antidote to all the drivenness and busyness in our lives. The antidote is not getting it all done in the kitchen or the office or the mall. The antidote is leaving that stuff, sometimes undone, to sit down for an unrushed conversation with Jesus. The question for reflection is, if you could have an honest conversation with Jesus in an unrushed setting, what would you talk with him about? Yesterday, I was blessed to be able to take a hike right behind us. I don't know if you guys realize this, but right behind the church, uh, that hill right here, if you go to the end of the parking lot down that direction, that trail is called Ladado Trail. And you could walk the, the hills here in the trails, and all of a sudden it feels like you are, you know, just in a different land, you know, in the redwood trees, and it's quiet and there's no one there. And, and what I sought to do was just to have these conversations with God in an unrushed way, in, in a way in which the things that were in my soul, the things that 
he was speaking to me and I was speaking to him that we could have a conversation about. Now this morning, as we consider abiding in Christ through prayer, um, you know, when you think about prayer, the question is, why do you pray? So I just want to ask you guys, why do we pray? What is the purpose? What is the, why do we, why do we spend time in prayer? You know, someone yell something out. Ooh, boom, relationship, all right? Number one, we spend time with the Lord in prayer through relationship. And if it's relationship, then that means it's two-way, right? Can you imagine uh, a relationship with someone that was only one way? Uh, now, imagine, uh, imagine if you are uh, a husband. Imagine talking to your wife the way that you talk to God. Wife, would you please do this for me? Would you, would you please provide this, wife, and then help me with this? Wife, I'm sorry uh, about this. And could you uh, strengthen me in this, wife? And, and wife, would you please help me in this area where I'm emotionally upset? And wife, could you please uh, change this about this person? And wife, could you change this situation in the world? Wife, could you do this? Wife, amen, done, bye, and then leave. Okay, there's no relationship that way. It, prayer is two-way. It's communication. It's for relationship. It's sitting and, and getting still enough and slowing down enough, not only to speak to God, but to listen to God. Prayer is not my list of to-dos for God. Prayer is not, hey God, um, you know what? I have my to-do list and I, I wanna go through that with you this morning. I only have five minutes, so uh, this is what I need you to do today. And yet prayer sometimes becomes that for us as believers. We could drift into this utilitarian, um, contractual, uh, I won't even say relationship, this, this contractual type of agreement with God as though God is the one that answers our prayers and we talk to him and tell God what to do. But really it's relationship and he wants us to spend time with him. You know why? Because he wants us to get to know him. You know why? Because in that getting to know him, joy fills our lives. In the getting to know of him, we become more like him. So the purpose of prayer uh, primarily is to know God, it's relationship. And that in that two-way conversation, not a to-do list, that means there has to be transparency. Um, there were certain friends, you know, growing up that I, I knew and they were very superficial, you know, and you have those friends at times. You have friends that you know that there are certain topics that you talk about with them, but you don't talk about other topics. Okay, with this friend, I talk about, okay, uh, football. I, I talk about maybe, you know, uh, how their car is doing. Uh, this friend, I talk about weather with. Um, I might talk about work. But then you have other friends that you talk about, hey, how's your family doing? Hey, what are you going through? Hey, what are some of your hopes? What are some of your, what do you want to accomplish this year? Those are friends that you actually let in to that circle of trust where you open up to them. And you open up to them because you're getting to know them. You want to know them. You want them to know you. And that means we have to be very transparent in our prayers. If we're not transparent, then we're really being just phony. And if we're being phony, God sees right through that. And when I see Jesus in the New Testament, the time when he is most angry is with religious hypocrites that wear masks. The time where I see Jesus kind of like losing it, right, is where there are religious hypocrites that are playing a game. 
They're putting on a mask to look one way so that everyone thinks that they're more spiritual than they really are. And people look to them, but they don't ever go to anyone else. They don't ever open up. There's no confess your sins one to another. It's always one way. They're always in the place of helping others because they want to show themselves uh, being all together. And that kind of transparency, um, that lack of transparency, it doesn't do well for intimacy and closeness with God. See, if God already knows what's going on in my heart and my mind, then why don't I just open up and tell him what's on my heart and my mind since he knows anyway? And we almost have this weird way of thinking, well, if I don't tell God about it, he's not going to bring it up. <laughs> if I don't bring up the subject you know, of sin or what I'm struggling with or fear or doubt, then he's not going to bring it up. And we'll just kind of ignore that. But yet God doesn't want to ignore that because he wants us to grow, because he wants us to trust him. It's this relationship. We pray to become more like Christ. We, we pray to worship him and to give thanks. Then we pray for guidance. You know, this morning, uh, one of the prayers, and by the way, at 9 a.m., we have a group of people that, that pray, and that is open to all of us. And one of the prayers is that, God, as you would see fit according to your will, would you multiply the number of people that just come and pray? I want to let you know that when those people are praying, there's something that fuels and powers our worship service, that empowers the, the word as it's being taught, that encourages us, and, and praying for different uh, people. But one of the prayers also this morning was guidance. In 2016, man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of prayers for this year. Situations in people's lives, job changes, health issues, ministering to elderly parents. There are, are things of the possibility of moving, the possibility of a new job, the possibility of taking ventures and steps of faith, all of those things that we all have as we look forward to this next year. One of the things that we come to God in prayer for is for guidance and then for petition and, and intercession. So we petition God, we intercede, we pray for others, we bring our request to him. And that's a good thing to do. Bring your request to God. So if you would turn with me now to Psalm 66. Psalm 66 is a great psalm. Um, I've never taught on it. Uh, I've taught through Psalms before and uh, Psalm 66, I went back through my notes and it's one of the Psalms that I did not teach on. Psalm 66 is a Psalm that we don't know the author. Most of the Psalms that we have are written by David. Um, you know, we know that, you know, Moses wrote a Psalm. We have Hezekiah writing uh, some Psalms. But in Psalm 66, we don't know who the author is. And, and actually, I think that's going to be helpful for us this morning because I think that Psalm 66 applies to all of us who would desire to grow in our prayer life. And sometimes we could look at situations in the Bible and say, well, that's not my situation. But I don't know the psalmist's situation here. I just believe that what this psalmist is praying um, really relates to us. Now, as we consider this, trying to get it, it goes and then it jumps back. There we go. I just got to move a little bit more slowly. Slow down. There it goes. There, Psalm 66. It makes sense in Psalm 66, this prayer, because one of the things that I see in this psalm is desperation. 
when do you pray the most? When you're desperate, right? Um, I, I heard uh, one time um, a story about these pastors that were talking about positions of prayer, whether kneeling or sitting or standing, eyes open or eyes closed. And there was a, a guy that was a, a, a lineman, not NFL lineman, but a lineman that worked on the telephone poles and overheard their conversation. And he said, the best position for prayer is upside down hanging from a ladder. Because for him, what happened was he was working on the line, you know, on the telephone pole, and he fell, and his leg was stuck in the ladder, and he was upside down, and he just began to call upon the name of the Lord. And for his life, that was something that drew him back to God, because his prayer life up to that point was terrible. He really didn't talk to God about a lot of things, but because of that incident, he said, "My the best p- position of prayer is upside down on a, a telephone pole. And whatever your position is, as far as desperation is concerned, those are times when God really draws near to us. When we draw near to God, James, the book of James, it says that when we draw near to God, what does he do? He draws near to us. So here's a crazy thing. When do we draw near to God mostly? When we're desperate. So if God draws near to us when we draw near to him, and we draw near to him when we're desperate, then that must mean that sometimes desperate situations are good times. (laughs) Now, they don't feel like good times. They're difficult. They're moments of crisis. I don't know what comes next. I, I can't make the future happen. I can't form these things. But in that desperation, we don't know what to do. Things are out of our control and we draw near to God. One of the things that we find is that God meets us right there in that place of desperation. In Psalm 66, it begins, make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Realize this, we are created for joy. We are created for joy. And and I hope this morning that that is revolutionary for you. I hope that it is encouraging for you because I think that there are times that sometimes we're almost afraid of seeking after joy. It's almost like we don't deserve it. Other people deserve to be happy, but I've messed up. I just, all I want from God is to go to heaven someday. That's the most that I could hope for. But you know what? God has created us for joy. And all of the earth realize that in this first part of Psalm 66, this is worship of God from all the earth. Joy is all about him. Let me tell you when it becomes joyless. It becomes joyless when it becomes all about me. My hopes, my dreams, what I want to do, what I want to accomplish, it's all about me. And you know what? When it's all about me, it's not filled with joy. It's very ironic that sometimes in the pursuit of joy and in the pursuit of happiness, when we get mostly self-centered and self-focused, we get less joyful. But the more that we focus on the Lord and we focus on others and we put God before us and we put others before ourselves, what happens is he begins to fill us with his joy. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourselves in the Lord. And what? He will give you the desires of your heart. My my hope for us is that we pray that. That we would delight so much in the Lord that he puts his desires into our hearts and can fulfill his desires. It doesn't mean, hey, I'm gonna delight in the Lord. I'm gonna go to church. I'm gonna sit and I'm gonna sing some songs. I'm gonna open up my Bible and therefore God will give me what I want. 
That is not what that psalm means. It means the more that I delight in the Lord, the more that he gives me his desires and the more that he could bless those desires and the more that that joy is increased. In verse two, it says, sing out, uh, sing out the honor of his name, make his praise glorious. I love that it says to sing out the honor of his name, to sing. You know, when I, I think about um, heroes, whether it would be um, historical figures or whether it would be people that we would consider a hero today, I'm not gonna sing songs to people. You know, there's not like a guy scores a touchdown and I'm gonna sing a song that I've written, you know, in his name. I'm not gonna bow down to that person. But to the Lord, to God, we are to sing out the honor of his name and to make his praise glorious. The word glorious, it means to be filled with glory. And that word, just to let you know, originally meant, um, it was a word that could be translated as weight or heaviness. The kabod of God, the glory of God, the, the heaviness, not a heaviness in a bad way, but a heaviness in the sense of, have you ever had a time when you understood or just for a moment, you glimpsed God's glory? You felt overwhelmed by how great God was. Maybe it was, maybe it was at, at night in a very dark place and you could see the stars in the sky. You're just blown away how awesome, magnificent, glorious, how big God is. Maybe it's in a, um, a, a room in a hospital. I remember uh, when my son Matt was born that morning, the sun came up. We were in Kaiser Santa Teresa and our room was on the seventh floor and it happened to face east just as the sunrise was hitting. Um, you know, Deanna delivered him and the, the sun literally filled the room with this brightness. And it was just like, I'm sitting in this room and I'm just blown away and just feeling like, God, thank you for this moment. Realize this, God created us to make his praise glorious, that there should be a weight to understanding how incredible God is. Now, in making uh, his praise glorious, it doesn't make God more um, glorious, but we glorify him we magnify him god is the same size by the way you know when we when we magnify him it doesn't make him bigger it just means that it's like putting up a lens on, on god and that lens shows him to be bigger but he really is the same size he's vast he's god he's the creator of the universe it says in verse three say to god so now the psalmist is helping us in our prayer life hey here's what to say maybe you think i, I don't know what to say like, I don't know, it's awkward. What, what am I supposed to say? The psalmist says this, say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. So say to God when you pray, say how awesome are your works. You know, one of the things that helps us in our prayer life, that helps us abide in Christ, is to see how incredible God is. To see not only how vast he is, not only how powerful he is, but remember the awesomeness of God. Remember to have awe in who the Lord is. Enemies will submit. When we pray, we pray to a God who is all powerful. When you open up uh, the news online or you watch the news or you listen to what's going on around the world, um, I'll tell you when the Paris attacks hit, that, that just affected me. 
But when the San Bernardino thing happened, and, and that was something that was kind of different, it was closer to home, not as well planned out just by a couple of people, that hit me in a different way, man. That, that night, it was a, that Wednesday night I was teaching, and for some reason, man, that was so heavy for me. It was so on my heart. I couldn't get through the message without just weeping. I, it was such a thing of, like, God, look at our world. Look at what's happening in the evil in our world. But you know what? When I understand and I realize the power of God, it gives me encouragement in my prayer life. If I pray to a small God, I'm not going to be very encouraged to pray. That's like asking uh, for help. A bully is picking on you and he's waiting for you at three o'clock when you get out of school. And he says, I'm gonna be waiting for you. And here's your puny little friend that is smaller and weaker and wimpier than you. And you say, hey, can you help me? Not a lot of confidence there. But when you have a big friend like my friend Curtis, when I, I met him in junior high and that happened to me and I was the new kid in seventh grade and the guys were waiting and they said, hey, we're gonna beat this kid up after school and we're gonna be waiting for him. And I walk there and I see them and Curtis is standing there with them and Curtis says, nah, man, leave him alone. This guy's cool. Like Curtis is my buddy and I will call upon Curtis whenever I'm in trouble because Curtis is one of the biggest guys in the school and he's my friend. When I pray to God, one of the things that helps me to pray is realizing how big God is. I think there are times when we come to God and we say, God, I have such a big trial. I have such a big problem. And in reality, what we should say is problem. I have such a big God. We should be looking at God who's able to answer our prayers, able to help us, able to meet with us and give us grace and help in time of need rather than looking and magnifying and making the problem bigger. See, when we just stare at the problem, it gets bigger. We magnify it in our minds. And, and we magnify it if you um, are in school, you, you know those feelings of if I don't pass this test. I remember thinking that. I remember thinking that in, you know, 10th grade, you know, going into a history exam. If I, don't, if I don't get a good grade on this test, I'm not going to get a good grade in this class. If I don't get a good grade in this class, I'm not going to go to a good school. If I don't go to a good school, I'm not going to have a good life, which means I'm not going to marry a good wife, which means my life is going to be terrible because of this test. And I just would magnify it bigger than it actually is. I'm not saying that that's not a big thing, but we, we can magnify the stuff that we go through so great rather than magnifying the Lord, right? I mean, we, we look at our problems and sometimes those become the big things. In verse four, it says, all the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. And then selah, which is to pause, to ponder, to consider, and to think about it. All the earth will praise God. That means all of the people in the earth will eventually praise God. In Philippians, we know that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. All of the earth sings God's praise. And if all of the earth sings God's praise, it's not just people, but let me tell you what, it's rain and thunder. You ever been in a big rain and thunderstorm? And I, I, I love thunder when it rattles in my chest and it feels like THX Dolby. I, I just, you know, people get freaked out, but I love that feeling. I was just visiting my family in Southern California for Christmas and there was an earthquake down in Southern California and I could just feel that, that, that gentle, I don't like the big earthquakes, but that gentle rolling one was like really cool, like just realizing how big, how strong God is. God, the wind, the waves, the water, 
the fire, birds of the air. You know, I, I, I love all of God's creation and how all of God's creation declares his glory if we would just stop to listen. I and mean, we live in like one of the most beautiful places on the planet. I mean, and it's just so important for us just to stop and to not worship his creation, but to worship the creator. To look at those things and to get out and get quiet and just see what God has done. But then the next thing that praises God is not just the earth, but it's praise from his people. Verse five says, come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing toward the sons of men. So it's not just in nature, but in his doing towards us as his people. This is an invitation to come and see. Come and see. Notice his works. Look around. See those things. See them in the people that are near to you. See God's work in in 2015. You know, sometimes we don't see all that God is doing as well up close as we do in hindsight when we pull back a little bit. And you know, when I think about this last year, um, you know, I'm, I'm in the process of trying to back up my computer. My, my computer is full. So I have to use this, you know, external hard drive to, to start figuring out what I'm going to, uh, you know, put on that and then delete it so that my computer runs well again. And one of the things that stores up a lot of my memory is pictures. Yeah, because I, I, I love pictures because they, they remind me of moments. They, I, I take pictures of not only nature, but, but my family and things that, that catch my eye. And, you know, as I, I do that and I'm looking through these pictures, I start to remember what God has done in this last year. And I want you to think about what has God done in your life in this last year? What are some of the works that, that maybe you thought that thing was, that was the trial that you thought was gonna destroy you, but you're still standing. That was gonna be your undoing, but you're still here and the Lord is still working in your life. And I wanna let you know that if you're fogging a mirror this morning, if you're still alive, then God is still doing a work in your life. There's still purpose. There's still reason for you to be here. So you can look back at just God's sustenance in your life and realize that God sustains us. In verse six, he reminds them of what he's done in the past with his people. He turned the sea into dry land. He went through the, they went through the river on foot. There we will rejoice in him. Remember God's deliverance in impossible situations. For the people of Israel, the Egyptian army was behind them, a mountain beside them, the Red Sea in front of them. Nowhere else to go. They called out to the Lord, and what the Lord did is he parted the sea. He parted the sea for them to be able to walk across on dry land. Remember God's deliverance in those impossible situations. In verse 7, it says, He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Even when people are not perceptive of God, he observes all. And you know, that's very encouraging and helpful when it comes to prayer. It's helpful because I don't have to tell God all of the situations that are going on in the world. I don't have to give him all of the details of someone's life that I'm praying for. And I don't have to tell him how to fix it. You ever do that when you pray? Like you tell God not only their need, but then you tell him the prescription of how he should fix it. That's the best solution. God, this is how you should deal with their situation. Instead of just submitting that to God and know that his eyes perceive all of those things. In verse eight, it says, oh, bless our God, you peoples. 
make the voice of his praise to be heard. Bless our God, minister to the Lord. In, in the book of Acts chapter 13, it says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, then then God spoke to them. They ministered to the Lord. Now, we are ministered to from the Lord, but you know what? Do you realize that we could minister to the Lord? That God is blessed when we praise him, when we worship him, when we talk to him? Bless the Lord, bless our God. Make, a, make the voice of his praise to be heard. Verse nine, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. This morning, someone quoted the hymn, on Christ this solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. This morning, what, what is your footing on? What, what is your foundation? What is the thing that, that that is the thing that you bank on, that you hold fast to? That's, that's your firm foundation. And unless the, it's the Lord, it's all shifting. Unless it's the Lord, it's volatile. Unless it's the Lord, it can crumble at any time. How is my footing this morning? Prayer reminds me about my footing, the foundation. Verse 10, now we're to praise him as his people. And verse 10, I want you to notice sometimes when it's most difficult to praise him. It says, for you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. And verse 11, you brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads we went through the fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Now, God is a skilled refiner. When you start to read a little bit more and get into the, the background of how a refiner refines silver, God refines us and he is a very skilled refiner. And we're refined by affliction. Affliction, trial, difficulty, it refines us. You know, you think about the refining process. Um, in Psalm 119, it says, before I was as, uh, afflicted, I went astray. Affliction can have a good cause and a good purpose and a good result in our lives. And in that affliction, hopefully that fuels and helps us in our prayer life to realize that God doesn't afflict us, as it says in Lamentations, he doesn't afflict us needlessly. He doesn't take joy in just afflicting us for affliction's sake. There's something that that affliction, whether it's from the hand of God in this case, or whether it's trials that just come at us from this world and from the devil, those things can be useful in God's hands to refine us. Now, the refiner, um, it's a repeated process. What happens is the silver, the metal, the precious metal is heated. And it's heated up and it begins to melt. And then the dross is skimmed. And, and there's so much care that when the dross is removed, that nothing that is precious is removed. Only the impurities. Then you know what happens? Is the process is repeated. And it's repeated over and over. The refiner knows the right temperature, the right intensity. In the trial that you are facing coming into this year, Maybe it's a residual trial from last year. It's a leftover trial, but it's still right here in your face. God knows the intensity and the temperature that you can take. Now, you might feel like it is too much. God, you need to turn this heat down. But God knows us. He knows 
how much we can handle. And in that refining process, what he is doing is he's trying to extract the precious um, from the worthless. God creates something precious in us as we bless him even in the refining process, not just after the refining process. Can you sing in the middle of your trial? Can you praise him in the middle while you're still going through it? Not after you've come out of it and you're praising him in hindsight, but in the middle of it, can you praise him? In Isaiah 43, 12, it reminds us that it says, you have caused men to um, ride over our head. Uh, Later on, it says, we went through fire and through water, but you brought us out into rich fulfillment. That's here in the Psalm. But in Psalm 43, it says, though we walk through the fire, we will not be burned. And though we walk through the water or the rivers, they will not overflow you. Both the fire and the water have a purifying effect. So how is God refining you today so that in prayer and praise, you bless God? Again, it's through that that he brings us into a rich fulfillment. Remember Psalm 23? He leads us beside still waters. Do you remember that he brings us into these green pastures? He sets a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And then at the end, we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In this refining process, I want to encourage you, it will not go on forever. In the refining process that you're going through, it will not go on forever. And you know, I could take heart in that. I could trust the hand of my God, the hand of the refiner, who gently, carefully, uh, painstakingly, with intentionality, guides me and leads me through this trial, through these afflictions, through whatever it is that I'm going through. And then, as we abide in Christ in prayer, Psalm 66 teaches us to pray personally. Not just worship from all the earth, not just praise from his people, but prayer personally. Verse 13 says, I will go into your house with burnt offerings. Notice in verse 13, we see a change in the personal pronoun. Instead of us, it is I. It is, it's me. A personal relationship with God. A personal walk with God. Notice that the psalmist was not an empty-handed worshiper. There are times of spontaneous worship. You're out riding your bike, and in the middle of it, you're just worshiping. You're driving your car. You're in this place. Praise just comes from you. But there is also a place for the people of God individually to have intentional, planned times of worship. That's why we have times like Sunday morning. Why do we meet together Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and 9 a.m. to pray? There's planned times. This worshiper, this psalmist, was not an empty-handed worshiper. That means he planned ahead to be able to bring into God's house these burnt offerings. He didn't just show up to God's house and say, whoa, I don't have a burnt offering. You know, I I just showed up here, but I, I don't have a burnt offering with me. For God's people, that's intentional. Now, let me, let me say with tithes and offerings, when it comes to finances, I know that probably the majority of us for 2016 have some financial goals. You're thinking about your taxes right now. You're thinking about W-2s. You're thinking about all these things and, and financial aid for school. And, and yet in all of that, do we plan in our worship, in our tithes and offerings to say, God, I'm going to make you a priority in my giving. I'm gonna be a generous person this year. 
And I'm going to intentionally do that, not by accident as it happens, but I'm going to plan to do that so that ahead of time, I'm going to prepare that. Remember when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said every week, set some aside, that there was an intentional thing so that when Paul came, that the offering was prepared and it was ready. Notice second part of verse 13. I will pay you my vows, speaking to God, which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. Again, the psalmist reveals a weakness at times in our prayer lives. Sometimes we make vows during times of trouble. Um, There was this stupid movie in the 1970s probably that was made, but there was this really funny part. Um, I think it was called The End. And it was uh, Dom DeLuise and uh, Burt Reynolds. And what happens is Burt Reynolds uh, has this disease, this terminal disease. So he wants to take his own life, but he doesn't have the courage to do it. So he asks Dom DeLuise to help him. And uh, Dom DeLuise keeps helping him. But then, you know, Burt Reynolds at the last minute tries to change his mind. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. So then at the end of the movie, and I'm giving you the the spoiler because it's a dumb movie, but I'll I'll tell you the, the best part of it. Burt Reynolds swims out to the ocean as far as he can. And he's like, that's it, I'm done. I'm gonna do this on my own. I'm just gonna swim out to sea until I die. And he just keeps swimming out. And, he, and then the, the camera pans out, the helicopter view. He's way far away from shore. And then in the middle of it, he starts to flounder. He's tired. And he says, okay, I don't wanna die. God, I don't wanna die. Please help me. I don't wanna die. And then he starts swimming back to shore. He realizes it's too far. And he says, God, if you will help me to make it back to shore, I will give you my whole life. I will serve you. I will give money to the poor. I will do this, God, if you will just help me. And he keeps swimming. He doesn't think he's gonna make it. Then he gets about halfway. He's like, God, please help me to get to shore. If you get me to shore, I'll give you 75% of everything that I have, you know, and I will, I will give you a part of my life. And then he's like, you know, a fourth of the way. And he's like, God, if you just help me, I'll give you 10% and I'll go to church on some Sundays. I will do that. And sometimes we make these vows with God during times of desperation. The psalmist here understands this weakness of our character that at times during trouble, we could just utter these vows without thinking about them. We need to be very careful not to do that. God takes our vows very seriously as we should take our vows very seriously. And when he makes these vows, he says, I will, I will pay those vows. There's an intentionality to it. And again, not just prayer in times of trouble. Verse 15, I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat animals with the sweet aroma of rams. I will offer bulls with goats, Selah. Now these are God's desired sacrifices according to what God wants. Um, the psalmist would come according to the prescription of what God would say. And you know what, what blows me away is that so many times I hear people say, well, I just worship God the way that I want to worship God. Like you do it by reading the Bible and by giving and serving, going to church, whatever. I just do it by riding my bike. And I'm not saying that you can't glorify God by riding your bike, but that's not all, right? And sometimes we make the prescription of how we are going to worship God. The psalmist gives these sacrifices according to the the sacrifice that God wants. And then remember this, that in 1 Samuel 15, it, it is not just the act of the sacrifice, the blood that is offered, remembering that life had to be shed, 
right? For these sacrifices, a ram, a, 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 a lamb, a goat, blood had to be shed. When we come to the Lord, we realize, you know what? Jesus is that sacrifice that draws us close to God. And in 1 Samuel, it says, to obey is better than sacrifice. It is not only about religious observance. I'm going through the motions, doing these things, going to church, um, tithing, giving, and no, it's obedience. And it is not one without the other. It's not, well, I just walk with God and I obey, but I don't sacrifice. And it's not just, I sacrifice, but I don't obey. It's not one without the other, it's both. And then it says, verse 16, come, come in here. So the invitation is to come in here. All you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. This morning, I just wanna invite you in the same way that the psalmist invites you. Come and hear all you who fear God. Come in here, listen to what God has done. Think about what God has done for my soul, for your soul. Verse 17, I cried to him with my mouth and he was extolled with my tongue. What does it mean to be extolled with your tongue? It means to be sung about, worshiped and praised. Charles Spurgeon said this, there are some who cry and do not sing. There are some who sing and do not cry. It is best to do both. I cried to him with my mouth and he was extolled with my tongue. Cry out to him in prayer from the depths of your heart. When you're desperate, when you're sad, when, when you don't know what to do, cry out to him, but also sing to him. And don't only sing to him during times of desperation, cry out to him. Now, what hinders our prayer? In verse 18, it says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. A blockage of sin hinders our prayer. Now, I wanna let you know this morning, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is the state of every person that has never received the grace of God that comes by the sacrifice of what Jesus has done. And it, it doesn't mean that you are not as good as other people. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But our iniquity, our sin, it hinders our relationship to God so that God doesn't hear us in the same way. He knows that someone is praying, but that prayer is received into that mercy, into that um, throne of grace when it is because of the sacrifice of Christ. But I also wanna say this, it is the sad state of many believers today. It is the sad state of many believers today. If you regard, if I regard iniquity in my heart, what does it mean to regard sin or iniquity? It means to gaze at, it means to cherish it. It means to get cozy with sin and comfortable in it. And if I'm cozy in sin and comfortable in sin, I am hindered in my prayer life, my relationship with God. How do I regard sin in my life? How do you regard sin in your life? By habitually, secretly practicing it. By habitually, secretly practicing it is one way to regard iniquity. By entertaining the thought of it and loving it. That's how we regard iniquity. By entertaining the thought of it and loving it. By delighting in that sin seen in others with approval. Well, I'm not gonna sin, but huh, that's so funny that he does it that way. I'm not gonna sin, but wow, look at what they're doing. 
That is regarding iniquity in our lives. And by not confessing and allowing the Spirit of God to search us, the psalmist prayed, search me, O God. Search my heart. See if there be any evil way, any iniquity within me. Then in verse 19, but certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. What does that imply? It implies that the psalmist has confessed sin. It it implies that the psalmist is not, um, he's not regarding sin in his life. It doesn't mean that we don't sin. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God, but it means that we're not just holding on to it and practicing it. And then in verse 20, greatest encouragement for prayer, it says, blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me. This morning, I encourage you to trust him. Blessed be God. He allows us to pray. He listens to our prayers. He answers our prayers. So as we abide in him in prayer and we spend time in communion with the Lord, remember this. Remember that the joy of the Lord is our strength. If you don't have joy in prayer, you will not pray very often. And if the only reason why you're praying is to check it off of a list, it's not gonna be joyful. But when the joy comes, why do you spend time with your friends? Because you like being around them. There's joy in that. When there is joy in the Lord, we want to pray. We want to spend time with him. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Another application is remember who he is and what he has done. Remember who God is and what he's done. That's what communion is. Communion is remembering what Jesus has done for us. In a moment, I'm gonna have Dan come up and lead us in worship, a time of reflecting on what Jesus has done. But it is important not only to remember the blood and the the body of Christ, but to remember that because of the blood that was shed and because of his body that was broken, we can have fellowship with him. The faithfulness of God in our lives is seen no more clearly than in communion. Because sometimes we judge God's faithfulness based on, hey, is my checklist happening? All the things I want God to do for me, all these prayers. And we start to wonder, does God really love me because he's not answering my prayers the way that I want him to? There's no greater display of God's love and faithfulness than right here when we partake of communion. Because Christ gave his own life for us so remember who he is and what he's done and do not regard sin in your heart this is a time of confession this is a time of transparency and just saying god i see the same thing that you see and i call it what you call it i call it sin i'm not blaming anyone else i'm not saying this is your fault god i'm just calling it as it is there's sin in my life just confess it to the lord and then finally In sacrificial worship, when we come to God, come to God with obedience, come to God with that sacrificial worship and say, Jesus, would you receive my worship? And so we're going to pray. Dan, if you could come up and lead us into this time of worship. And then we are going to partake of communion. This morning, the way that we're going to do it to start off this new year is I'm gonna ask you to take the bread and cup back to your own seat and to hold on to it. And then at the end, we are all going to partake together as a body. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we want to thank you. Thank you for 
Psalm 66. Lord, I don't know who um, the human author uh, of Psalm 66 was, but Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit has inspired it. Your Holy Spirit has given us this psalm. You've encouraged us to pray. You've encouraged us that it is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And we want to sing to you joyfully because of what you've done. Father, this morning, as we partake of the bread and the cup, we want to pause and remember what you've done in sending your son Jesus to die for our sins. Jesus, we want to remember your sacrifice. And then, Lord, I I pray that this morning we would remember your faithfulness. God, you are faithful, and we praise you. I ask you, Lord, that in our prayer life, in our conversations with you, that it would not just be one way with us coming to you and speaking to you. But now, Lord, we pray that you would search our hearts. We ask that you would see if there is any iniquity within us. And, Lord, that you would cleanse us of that that we would turn from it and we would confess that to you. So Jesus, draw near to us in this time of worship. We thank you in Christ's name, amen.